Welcome to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. I'm Scott, and I thank you for joining us. episode, we'll meet Amy Denio, a creative force in music over the past 35 years. She's an improviser, composer, multi-instrumentalist, and vocalist with a four-octave range. She has a bewildering range of credits and projects from experimental and free improv collaborations to full ensembles and solo works. She's toured extensively in places like the Balkans, Russia, India, Taiwan, and South America. She's written for dance troupes, theater, film, and chamber ensembles, and her work has been seen and heard at Carnegie Hall, Seattle Opera House, Detroit Institute of Art, the Roman Theater in Trieste, and on top of three metro buses in Seattle. She's composed over 500 pieces and released over 50 recordings. She also operates her own recording studio and label, Spoot Music. Amy Denio has been busy, and it's clear she is far from finished. While the pandemic has taken a lot out of many of us, she's seemingly been re-energized by it. Amy has several new projects, including a series called Corona Sonora, about the toll the coronavirus has taken in places she's lived, a new album by her long-standing saxophone quartet called The Tiptons, as well as a touching memorial for a close friend. I met with Amy via Zoom to share thoughts on music, current events, and what drives her to create. I would describe myself as a self-taught multi-instrumentalist who was born an improviser and loves to learn by playing with other people. I've been uh, going through quarantine along with everyone else in the world since March and I've been really grateful for the chance to have my soul catch up with me. As a result, what I've been doing is a lot of creating of new work influenced by the zeitgeist, by what's going on with the pandemic of the coronavirus. And I've been inspired actually quite a lot by looking at the numbers of infected and dead and using those numbers as impetus to compose. So I've assigned notes for every number from zero to nine. And and then I look at cities where I've lived in the past because we can't travel. It's making me a little nostalgic. So I think about Bombay, I think about Taipei, I think about Roma, wherever, and look at the numbers of infected and dead. <laughs> and use those numbers from that day to inform the music that I've been creating. So I've been developing into sort of a code maker. It's been really interesting because I'm not a coder by any chance, any stretch of the imagination. So it's been a a new kind of evolution in my compositional style, starting with creating a musical alphabet and assigning tones for every letter in the alphabet. Now I'm using numbers. Oh, 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 oh,
I've been able to just follow my own path, I guess because my inherent nature is that of improvising, loving to improvise, and loving to challenge myself. And not being so interested in commercial success, that, that for me, I look at various people that have become quite successful and many of them are dead. <laughs> the music industry is a brutal, brutal arena in which people um, are, are deeply compromised and I'm not at all interested in any of that fame and glory and it just seems like it's it inhibits the creative process you know you look at the amy winehouse documentary have you seen that it's incredible it's really telling how the pressures of of capitalism and success and all the social uh distortions can really uh, make life difficult so i'm not interested in that so as a result i've just been making my own music i, I learned how to record um when i was a teenager and I've just been a home recorder and and that started right around the the peak of the cassette underground so i i got in sort of embraced by that whole diy underground scene and so i've just been basically i've been relying on on the network of friends and uh, support from the ground up in a more community focused way you know that for me is very important that music creates community and that it can bring people together, even people from very different walks of life. For example, I play in Culture Shock. We play Balkan music, and there were there was a terrible, terrible civil war, in which um, actually music helped divide people at the time. Now, people can come together once again, sharing this love of music. That's why I've been uh, able to do my own thing because I don't care <laughs> about success, you know. to elicit as many different colors and tones as I can. A big influence for me is uh, Ima Sumac. Are you familiar with her? The mysterious Incan princess from the 50s and 60s. Y-M-A-S-U-M-A-C. She's from Peru and uh, and she's just, she has a four octave range and sings operatically but also growls, does all kinds of uh, unusual sounds. <laughs> And so when I heard her, I thought, this is it. This is, here's someone who's, who's actually is encapsulating 
what I, I didn't know that I wanted to do and now I know I want to do it. So she, she's one of the biggest influences. Um, so basically, yeah, I just, I just try to explore my voice as much as possible. I love languages, so I, I'm always trying to create new, new sounds and new combinations of mouth positions. To <laughs> the little box that I had at that performance is a, it's called a DL4. It's a, made by Line 6. It's called a delay modeler. So there are all these different delays and you can just, so I use it as a tool for improvisation. I almost don't look and I, I spin the dial and then I start making a sound and something happens. And so I just, it helps me, it just guides me. It's like a sail, you know, it's like setting the sail. And there's also a, a looper in that thing. So I'm able to, to stack different rhythms and different tones into a song-like structure.
when I'm on my own, I can come up with all kinds of ideas and not all of them are very good. <laughs> and what I discovered early on was that when I begin to share my ideas with someone else, they might add some new concept or some new approach or whatever mode, musical mode or something to what I'm doing that I never would have thought of. And it opens up the music into this, this whole new realm in which both of us are surprised. And, and so I feel like collaboration is a way to unlock musical habits and that tendency to stay within that which you know. Because I'm really very curious to explore that which I don't know in order to learn more. a really good friend of mine we'd known each other for about 25 years we'd met together at a playing a show at numos which is a club in seattle 
and we stayed in touch and she asked me to collaborate with her on a, a really neat compilation CD slash booklet called Rock Is Not Dead and she chose the song by the Throwing Muses called It's Not Too Soon and so I arranged it and she said, hey, I think I hear, I hear trash percussion. So she and her boyfriend came over and we, we all played this tin tub and, you know, so we became good friends and um, she made amazing pie and stuff. And unfortunately her friend, um, her partner had committed suicide at a certain point and she disappeared. I didn't know what, what had happened to her. It turned out she had suffered a nervous breakdown and it, it was really brutal. I helped her out in the spring and things seemed to be going better and better and better, but then her body just gave out and spirit said, it's time to go. I uh, came up with a song for her when I went to the woods, a place where we used to always hike. This melody was really beautiful. I feel like it, it just came from the forest. From I, I had this feeling I want to take her spirit on a walk. Right after that, a couple days later, this, this crow started following me silently wherever I went. Again, again, sweeping by my, my ear and landing perfectly in front, turning around, looking at me. And that's Noel's totem animal. So I thought, oh, well, this song, and I sang the song for the crow and it stared at me like it totally still like wrapped. <laughs> Our raptor was wrapped. So that's where the song came from. I played accordion and some clarinet and I asked a couple friends to, uh, Collaborate. And that's a perfect example of collaboration where they just took it and orchestrated this most beautiful thing. So when I f heard the final result, I just burst into tears like, yeah, this is great. So that's the story. And so Noelle's spirit is, is still around. I really, I still feel it very, very strongly.
In your recent Earshot Festival performance, which was before the election, mm-hmm. you, you made a comment that resonated with me, and that was about us being in collective need of a shift in consciousness and music being part of that. Can you elaborate on that thought? For a long time, I've been thinking about the whole consumption of music. In college, I I went to a lecture by Robert Fripp in which he was talking about just the commercialization of music and and how music used to be a community activity. It used to be all-inclusive and it didn't didn't matter if you could really sing well or not well. If you're, you know, it's just, it was a matter of bringing everyone together for different rites of passage, different rituals, and it was a ritualistic thing that included everyone. And then, um, for example, um, in the, I don't know what what year exactly, but let's say the 16th century or so, when people started saying, hey, well, we can have concerts with people who really know what they're doing, and, you know, we could charge some money. And uh, so that's that was actually the what brought the growth of of chamber music into orchestral music. It's like, well, if we if we have bigger halls, we could have more seats, but that, that means we need more instruments. So, so this whole like capitalist things started happening in music where there became specialists that, that were featured. And then there were the consumers who went to the concerts and paid their money. And so it, it became part of this whole capitalist rubric, this, this fabric, you know? And so I, I feel I very strongly that I'd, li- I'd love to go back to the the idea of music being all-inclusive. So often in my concerts, I try to get people to sing along, even if they don't know how to sing, I don't care. There's there's no wrong note in music. All sound is, is I consider to be music. So that's basically it. I, I really feel like it's time to include everyone. The Black Lives Matter whole situation that's been happening, this is a perfect example of not listening and just being part of this whole co- this capitalist cog. And it's time for us to listen. It's time for us to create these amazing um, pieces of dialogue to make sure that everyone has a voice and that we're not all yelling all the time <laughs> from our driven by our egos and our insecurities, but rather that we can give forth and we can do that with grace and by listening.
our interior voices are become so loud in our our own mental survival that it's it's hard to listen and especially with the, the age of information with which we're being bombarded it's it's really hard to listen because there's too much at a certain point the brain shuts down and says okay i can't i can't deal with all this you know the simple example is like when you go to the to the beach and there you are in the roar of the sea it's beautiful it's like oh this feels so good and after a very short time the brain tunes out that roar because it's a constant because you need to as a survival mechanism you need to look around at what what needs to be done what needs be to be paid attention to so i feel like this this whole information onslaught is making our brain shut down and making us less able to to be sensitive to those little to the quieter voices that are kind of buried <laughs> underneath this roar this all-consuming roar the story from the song lines by Bruce Chatwin fantastic book I really recommend reading it it's about travel and a little bit about music um, and in it is a, a short little recounting of a tale of a guy in Africa who hired some porters to help him move from one place to another and it was pretty far you know so he needed help and he had a lot of stuff and it took three days you know and they got almost to the destination they were practically there and the porters all sat down and the the guy said what's wrong are you hungry are you are you thirsty do you need something and they said no 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 we're fine and he said oh i get it you want more money you swindlers and they're like no 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 we agreed on the price everything's fine but we're and he said well the man said, why are, why are we stopping? We're so close, you can practically see the city lights or whatever. And the porter said, well, we've been traveling by foot for three days and we need to wait for our souls to catch up with us. 
And I read that, and I'd been thinking already because I've been I've been traveling for 30 years, um, a lot by plane, a lot by train, a lot by van, crammed in with millions of other people, lots of gear. Um, that jet, jet lag for me lasts about three days, and so I read that thing going. They were going by foot, and they're waiting. You know, they, for three days they've been traveling, and and their souls are that far away. Like, what if you're going by van or what? And I just had this image of like airports. Suddenly, I'm realizing, oh, yeah, that's true. When you walk through airports, everyone is, looks like a zombie. <laughs> like all their souls are ripped out of them. So the reason why I bring that, and so it inspired a song called Soul Come Home, which you can find for the Pale Nudes. It's the title track. I uh, this pandemic has been the most incredibly fertile, inspiring period of my life. And it's, it's been a sabbatical, which I've been desperate for. I was really losing it because I was working too much and traveling, spreading myself too thin. And my soul was always going, where the hell are you now? You know? And so I've had a chance to, to reintegrate my soul, you know, into my body and to be able to create. I'm just really grateful for this period of extreme inspiration and the chance to solidify myself in a way that I haven't been able to in the longest time. The Tipton Saxophone Quartet is a group that I am co-founder of this group. We started in November of 1988 and it took a while for us to get our own sound. I started hearing groups like Kronos Quartet playing songs like Purple Haze. And I thought, wait a second, they're, they're a quartet and so are we. So I arranged Purple Haze for the Tiptons <laughs> and etc. And we began to compose, etc. We added drums, we started touring Europe, and we've made quite a few albums, sometimes in collaboration with other groups. We went to Tallinn, Estonia and, and collaborated with a, a, a kind of a punk folk circus band called Njezdali. And then more recently, we collaborated with a 30-voice Austrian Benedictine Chapel Choir. <laughs> anyway, it was time for a new album, and so we did a little fundraising thanks to everyone who supported it. And last January, we went into Studio Litho to record this album, and it's called Wabi Sabi, and that's the Japanese concept of um, the appreciation of the beauty of imperfection. <laughs> and I feel like it's one of our best albums. We, we were able to really develop the material pretty well before recording. Usually we go in the studio, we don't even know what we're doing, we try to record, and, and everyone has just contributed really, really strong materials. listening to the thoughts and sounds of Amy Denio. To link to Amy and her projects and see a playlist for the music you've heard here, 
please see our blog article for this episode at rightbrainrecords.com blog. Listening to the Right Brain Music Podcast, presented by Right Brain Records. You can visit us at rightbrainrecords.com. Farewell for now. Join us next time.